Ladies and gentlemen, recording from Los Angeles, California. Welcome to another edition of the one and only podcast known to the world as Sean's Sports Stop, where Sean Tiplitsky gives his unique opinion on the biggest news stories in sports. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the one, the only Sean Sports Stop podcast. I'm excited for this one. It's been a while. Uh, been a hot minute. I've been pretty busy. Started this stats class in college. So uh, most of my attention has been focused on doing well in that class. But with that said, I'm going to do my best to start cranking out daily episodes again. I mean, there's a shit ton to talk about the NFL divisional round, other uh, stories in the NFL, teams looking for new quarterbacks, uh, quarterback drama, hockey drama in Canada, uh, the NBA, obviously, trade deadline rapidly approaching, the MLB offseason. I mean, soccer, basically, there is a lot to talk about. Um, it's going to be fun. And, uh, <laughs> Let's get right into it, starting with some NBA. James Wiseman certainly has not panned out for the Golden State Warriors thus far, at least not uh, relative to the position they drafted him in. Uh, They famously or infamously by now drafted James Wiseman second overall ahead of LaMelo Ball, who went third overall to the Charlotte Hornets in the 2020 NBA draft. So he hasn't lived up to the hype thus far. And now the Warriors are considering uh, trading him ahead of the February 9th trade deadline. According to Fox Sports, uh, the Warriors, quote, have indicated in conversations with other teams that the development of third-year center James Wiseman is not aligning with their hopes of squeezing another championship from the core of Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. An Eastern Conference GM also told Fox Sports that the team's willingness to trade Wiseman is twofold because... Quote, he isn't ready to help them win a title, and they feel they're doing him a disservice because he needs playing time to develop. That makes absolute sense. Uh, the Warriors have won four NBA championships at this point with their core of uh, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. But as all three players get older, the club realizes that their title window will begin to close in the very near future. Wiseman had a solid rookie season in 2020-21, averaging 11.5 points, 6 rebounds, in 39 games while shooting, you know, well for a center, 52% from the floor. However, he missed the entire 2021-22 season with a knee injury, and that appears to have significantly impacted his development at the NBA level. The 21-year-old has appeared in only 19 games for the Dubs this season and is averaging 6.8 points and and 3.5 rebounds while shooting 61% from the floor in just under 13 minutes per game. So he's seeing very limited minutes, limited action. Uh, additionally, he has been sidelined with the last eight games due to an ankle injury. Wiseman has also been buried on the depth chart behind Draymond Green, Kevon Looney, and Jamichael Green, which is a big reason that he has seen a lack of playing time when healthy. Uh, while Wiseman is a potential trade candidate, though, The Athletic reported on January 19th that interested teams hoping to get the big man on a bargain could be out of luck as the Warriors aren't in, quote, sell low mode. I mean, that makes sense. The Warriors have no reason to be. Additionally, 
Anthony Slater reported that Wiseman, in addition to Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody, quote, remain likely to be with the Warriors beyond the deadline and that the team isn't actively shopping any of those players. Since winning the 2020 NBA title, the Warriors have struggled this season so far and currently sit in ninth place in the Western Conference with a 22-23 and 23 record. If they don't trade Wiseman, it's definitely going to be interesting to see which assets they can add at the deadline for a playoff push. So that is the latest on the Warriors. Uh, speaking of the Bay Area and uh, yeah, the Bay Area, the 49ers, more on them later. I mean, they had a big game tonight. But let's talk about the QB situation. After spending his rookie season as the San Francisco 49ers backup quarterback, Trey Lance could find himself in a similar role in 2023. Per Michael Silver of the San Francisco Chronicle, two people with knowledge of the 49ers plans confirmed Brock Purdy is expected to be the starting quarterback over Trey Lance next season. Rightfully so. I mean, Trey Lance was the starter coming into 2022, but a fractured ankle suffered in a week two win over the, over the Seattle Seahawks ended his season. He had a follow-up surgery in December to remove some of the stabilizing hardware in his ankle that was irritating a tendon. He's expected to make a full recovery and be ready to go when the 49ers begin organized team activities in the spring. Purdy, who was the final, <laughs> infamously the final pick in the 2022 NFL draft, Mr. Irrelevant, became the backup quarterback behind Jimmy Garoppolo after Lance went down. The 23-year-old made the roster out of training camp after beating out Nate Sudfield for the number three quarterback spot on the depth chart. After playing a handful of snaps in a few blog games early in the season, Purdy was thrust into action when Jimmy G suffered a broken foot in week 13 against the Miami Dolphins. He responded by playing remarkably well with 1,098 passing yards, 11 touchdowns, and a 68.6% completion rate in five starts to finish the season. In the Niners' playoff opener against the Seattle Seahawks, Purdy overcame a shaky start, which he explained by uh, the football being wet and him not having much of a grip, to finish 18 of 30 for 332 yards and four total touchdowns in a 41-23 comfortable, almost blowout victory at Levi Stadium. The 49ers have scored at least 37 points in each of their last four games. While the jury is far from being decided on Lance, the 49ers did pay a steep price to select him in the 2021 NFL Draft. They traded four picks to the Dolphins, including first-rounders in 2022 and 2023, to get the number three overall selection for Lance. Uh, Trey has certainly been an unfortunate victim of bad luck. The 22-year-old hasn't played consistently since the 2019 season at North Dakota State. He only played one game in 2020 because of the COVID-19 pandemic. The 49ers drafted Lance with the idea of having him sit behind Jimmy G for one year before taking over as a starter. He did make two starts as a rookie when Jimmy G was injured. It's hard to argue that Purdy shouldn't be the starter based on his and the team's success. I mean, they haven't lost a game for crying out loud. Uh, more on them versus the Cowboys later. But I think it's absolutely clear that Brock Purdy should be the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. Speaking of starting quarterbacks, Tom Brady. Let's talk about this mysterious man. Several Tampa Bay Buccaneers players reportedly believe quarterback Tom Brady has played his final game as a Buck. According to NFL.com, um, multiple players felt Brady's actions and demeanor following an NFC wildcard round playoff loss to the Dallas Cowboys indicated that his time in Tampa was over. One player said, quote, I'd be surprised if he's back, while another added, quote, he sounded like a person saying goodbye for good. 
To no surprise, ESPN's Adam Schefter added Brady is expected to pursue an opportunity opportunity with a, quote, winning franchise if he decides to keep playing. So I guess that uh, takes the Raiders out of consideration. But I digress. Brady is said to take some time before making a decision on what he wants to do in 2023. His options include returning to the Buccaneers, retiring, or signing with another team in free agency. After spending the first 20 years of his career with the New England Patriots and winning six Super Bowls over that time, Brady signed with the Buccaneers ahead of the 2020 season. That move paid instant dividends as Brady led Tampa to a Super Bowl win at the conclusion of his first season with the team. The Bucs seemed poised for another deep run last year after Brady finished as the NFL MVP runner-up, but they were upended by the eventual Super Bowl winning champion, Los Angeles Rams in the NFC Divisional Round. Brady initially retired after the 2021 season, but he announced his return about a month later and Tampa was viewed as a Super Bowl contender once again. The 2022 season, though, was the biggest struggle of Brady's career as he went 8-9, marking his first ever losing season in 20-plus years. Tampa still reached the playoffs because of how bad the NFC South was, but the Buccaneers were clearly overmatched in their wildcard meeting with the Cowboys losing 31-14. As difficult as 2022 was for Brady and the Bucs, the veteran quarterback still put up solid numbers even at the age of 45. He threw the ball a career-high 733 times, completing 66.8% of his pass attempts for 4,694 yards, 25 touchdowns, and only nine interceptions. The major issue for Brady was the fact that he had almost no running game to speak of and a banged-up offensive line that often left him under pressure. But he himself didn't ha- didn't really have a down year. I mean, he was still uh, slinging it. Tom Brady, I mean, he still got it. We'll see where he will end up. Maybe the Raiders. We're going to talk about them right now. Derek Carr doesn't seem interested in dwelling on the details about being benched by the Las Vegas Raiders for the final two games of the season. In a post on Twitter, explained Carr explained he is, quote, choosing to move on amid the ongoing trade rumors rather than talk about the situation with the Raiders. He tweeted, quote, thank you to all the people reaching out, trying to give me their platform to tell my side of what happened. It's the hardest thing in the world not to jump on every interview and tell the whole truth. Thank you, but I'm choosing to move on and give our next city our best. The always classy Derek Carr. Uh, That tweet has hundreds of thousands of likes. This comes nine days after Carr posted a goodbye message to Raiders fans and thanked them for their support over the previous nine seasons. ESPN's Adam Schefter reported Saturday that Carr is expected to be traded, quote, earlier rather than later this offseason. Raiders head coach Josh McDaniels announced on December 28th that Jared Stidham was starting the final two games of the season. Per NFL Network, Carr and the Raiders decided it, quote, was best if he stepped away and was not with the team for those two games to avoid being a distraction. Benching Carr did allow the Raiders to avoid having his $32.9 million base salary in 2023 become fully guaranteed if he had gotten injured in either of the last two games. Carr has been the Raiders starting quarterback since he was drafted with the 36th overall pick in 2014. He's a three-time pro bowler. He's led the Raiders to two playoff appearances, though he wasn't available for their 2016 postseason game after suffering a fractured fibula in week 16, what could have been. The Raiders went 63-79 and overall in 142 games uh, with Derek Carr at the helm. They finished a disappointing 6-11 and this season. We will see. Will it be Tom Brady with the Raiders? Will it be Tua Tagovailoa? Will it be Baker Mayfield? Um, we know for sure it won't be Derek Carr. Very, very interesting situation to monitor. Uh, to me, it's just shocking that uh, a team would 
essentially stick with Josh McDaniels over Derek Carr, but that's just me. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. I think Josh McDaniels is um, completely inept, to put it lightly, and I think Derek Carr is massively underrated and um, slandered beyond belief. I mean, if you look at the Raiders teams that he's been on over the course of his career, the numbers that he's put up, the number of game-winning drives that he's put up, uh, being a three-time pro bowler, leading the team to two playoff appearances. It's, you know, not a huge amount over nine years, but again, look at the Raiders defenses, how good they were. Hint, they were all shit over the course of Derek Carr's Raider uh, tenure. So I don't know. We'll see what happens with the Raiders. And uh, let's talk about Joe Shiesty and the Bengals, shall we? The Cincinnati Bengals are expected to lock down quarterback Joe Burrow on a long-term deal this offseason, according to NFL Network. Quote, my understanding is the Cincinnati Bengals are targeting this offseason for a big-time, big-money extension for Joe Burrow, Ian Rappaport said. Burrow has an $11.5 million cap hit in 2023 and is eligible for a fifth-year option to keep him under team control through 2024, but the Bengals reportedly don't plan to wait that long to agree on an extension. The 2020 number one overall pick totaled 4,475 passing yards this season, while ranking second in the NFL with 35 passing touchdowns. Despite suffering a torn ACL as a rookie, Joe Shiesty has been one of the league's best quarterbacks the past two years, with 69 passing touchdowns and a 104.2 passer rating. He led the Bengals to the Super Bowl last season, and the team is a top contender again to win it all this year. It makes uh, signing him to a long-term contract a no-brainer move for the Bengals, but a deal likely won't come cheap. Nine quarterbacks currently have contracts that average at least $40 million per year via spot track, including passers who struggled in 2022 like Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford, the aforementioned Derek Carr. Burrow's deal could surpass each of these contracts as one of the top young players in the sport. Of course, the team knows there's value in getting a deal done early with prices likely only to go up in the next coming years. Josh Allen signed a six-year extension with the Buffalo Bills after his third NFL season, and he now ranks just sixth in average salary among quarterbacks. The Bengals must also fit other young players like Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Jonah Williams inside the salary cap with new contracts in the coming years, putting pressure on to get a deal done quickly with Joe Burr. Uh, The Kansas City Chiefs, they are a well-oiled machine, even with an injury scare to Patrick Mahomes, uh, by the way, something to keep keep an eye on. But uh, the Cinderella run for the Jacksonville Jaguars has come to a close. Um, they had they had a, one of the greatest comebacks of all time last week uh, after being down 27 to nothing against the Los Angeles Chargers to win that game on a walk-off field goal. Uh, they tried to march in the arrowhead just like the Bengals did last season and shock the Chiefs, but they were unsuccessful as Patrick Mahomes Uh, briefly left his team's AFC Divisional Round game against the Jacksonville Jaguars with an ankle injury, but he returned to the game and threw a crucial touchdown pass late to help lead his team to a 27-20 victory. Mahomes completed 22 of 30 passes for 195 yards and two scores. Those are pedestrian numbers by the superstar standards, but that stat line proved quite impressive considering that he missed the entire second quarter with the ailment and played hurt all of the second half. Mahomes suffered the injury late in the first quarter after a hit from pass rusher Arden Key. Uh, He stayed in the game until the end of the first quarter, but eventually left for the locker room. X-rays came back negative, and it was ruled a high ankle sprain, which is a pretty serious injury. I mean, that's an injury that usually takes players out for a few weeks. Um, 
NFL Network's Ian Rappaport reported that his x-rays taken during halftime were negative, but again, a high ankle sprain was suffered. But that did not stop Mahomes from returning for the second half, which started with the Chief leading 17-10 after backup Chad Henn led Kansas City on a 98-yard touchdown drive capped by Travis Kelsey's second touchdown of the game. Uh, by the way, what a game he had as he was the star of the show with 14 receptions, 98 receiving yards, uh, and his pair of touchdown catches as he and Mahomes ultimately led Kansas City to the AFC Championship game. Alongside a greedy defensive effort, Mahomes uh, helped close this one out late with a fantastic 10-play, 75-yard touchdown drive that ended with a one-legged pass to Marquez Valdez-Scantling for a six-yard score. It was a huge moment after the Jags had just cut the Kansas City lead to 20-17 to following Travis Etienne Jr.'s four-yard touchdown run. The Jags nailed a field goal in the final minute, but it was too little too late as the Chiefs emerged victorious uh, despite Patrick Mahomes playing through injury. So we'll see how he will deal with that, how that will affect him uh, in the AFC Championship game. Speaking of championships, UFC 283 last night was a fucking amazing card. Brandon Moreno, for the time being at least, has won bragging rights and the UFC Flyweight Championship with a third-round TKO win over Davis and Figueredo in the fourth chapter of their storied and historic rivalry at UFC 283. The victory came in a somewhat anticlimactic manner. The doctor, ringside physician, stopped the fight between the third and fourth rounds after Moreno closed Figueredo's eye with a one-two combination. He sort of hit him with uh, the inside or the outside of his knuckles, like his thumb, kind of weird shot. Uh, The two fighters picked up right where they left off with several interesting grappling exchanges early on. Figueredo threatened with a guillotine attempt early in the first round, and the five-minute frame ended with the Brazilian looking to secure a heel hook. Between those submission attempts were some strong moments for Moreno on the feet. Personally, I had it uh, two rounds to one in favor of Brandon Moreno after three rounds. I know a lot of people had it 3-0 in Moreno's favor. I thought Figueredo won the second round pretty convincingly. Uh, That dynamic continued in the second round as Moreno was winning the striking exchanges. But Figueredo jumped on a guillotine choke that took a while for Moreno to work out of. Personally, I thought the fight was over at that point. Overall, Moreno had the early momentum in the bout thanks to his ability to push the pace and put his opponent on the defensive. Uh, The third round was where Moreno landed the fight changing and ultimately ending blow. A left-right combination landed and shut Figueredo's right eye. While Figueredo initially protested that it was an eye poke, the replay showed that it was Moreno's knuckle that landed in the eye before an open-handed follow-up strike, which was perfectly legal and clean, hit him on the opposite side of the face. The win gave Moreno the advantage in their series, which was tied at 1-1-1 after three epic fights. There are a few matchups that fans would clamor for four times, but the ability for these two to put on classics left the organization with little choice but to schedule a fourth fight. While the series has been fun, Moreno has made it clear he's ready to move on with his win, saying, quote, man, the last dance, man, my plan is to make a statement in this one. My plan is to, is to just finish Davis and Figueredo. I did it before, and I know I feel it. I can do it again. I will, and that's it. Uh, he told media leading up to the fight. Uh, so what a win it is for Moreno. Also, shout out to John Mahal Hill, setting a new uh, light heavyweight record with 223 significant strikes in his title fight, in his title win, and ultimately, let's be honest, domination win over Glover Teixeira in the main event of UFC 283. So, Brazilians did not fare did not fare too well um, at UFC 283. But yeah, speaking 
Speaking of not faring well, the New York Giants, their Cinderella run has come to a close. The Philadelphia Eagles proved they are a top dog in the NFC. The Eagles defeated the New York Giants in blowout fashion, 38-7 on Saturday in the NFC Divisional Round at Lincoln Financial Field and were dominant from start to finish. Star quarterback Jalen Hurts completed 16 of 24 passes for 154 yards and two touchdowns. In addition to rushing for 34 yards and a rushing score, his top targets were wide receiver Devontae Smith and tight end Dallas Goddard, who combined for 11 receptions, 119 yards, and two touchdowns. Running backs Boston Scott and Kenneth Gainwell also posted touchdowns in the win, and along with Miles Sanders accrued a combined 234 rushing yards as a position group. The Philly defense was just as good, limiting Giants quarterback Daniel Jones to only 135 yards, no touchdowns, and one interception. The Giants also totaled only 227 yards of offense. That's very few. Um, so a huge win for the Eagles. They certainly shut up a lot of haters, myself included. Uh, let's talk about Daniel Jones and his future or lack thereof with the New York football Giants. There is a chance that Saturday's blowout loss to the Eagles was the final game of Daniel Jones's time with the New York Giants. Quote, like I said, we will cross that bridge when we get there. I really enjoyed playing here, Jones told reporters. I appreciate all of those guys in the locker room. It, it is a special group of guys, and I have really enjoyed being a part of it. New York declined the fifth-year option in his rookie contract before the start of the 2022 season. Quote, we will figure out where that goes, but I have nothing but love and respect for this organization and the group of guys in the locker room, he said. Head coach Brian Dable told reporters the time will come to discuss Jones's future, saying, quote, all these conversations, we're going to have those. We've got a long offseason, and there's a time and place to have those conversations. Tonight's not it. Dable also didn't have much positive to say about the quarterback or the rest of the team after the loss to the Eagles, saying, quote, eh, he competed. The coach said of the quarterback who went 15 of 27 for 135 yards, zero touchdowns, and one interception. Look, we all didn't do a good enough job. That starts with me. Daniel's a competitor, but they controlled the game the entire game. Running back Saquon Barkley told reporters he would love to be a giant for life after a bounce back season that saw him tally over 1,300 yards and 10 touchdowns on the ground to go along with 338 receiving yards. We will see. Uh, personally, I'm not sure if uh, Daniel Jones is really done in New York. I'm just not sure. Personally, if I had to, if I was a betting man, which I am, <laughs> I would say that probably is over. We got some hockey to talk about uh, real quick. The Vancouver Canucks announced on Sunday they have fired head coach Bruce Boudreaux and assistant coach Trent Cole. Um, generic PR statement, they're a garbage franchise. Rick Tachet will replace Boudreaux as head coach with Adam Foote moving into the assistant role. The move comes uh, amid an 18-25-3 and 25, 18-25-3 start that has the Canucks sitting in sixth place in the Pacific Division. Despite the losses piling up, Boudreaux didn't lose the support of the fan base. They chanted, Bruce, there it is, at the end of Saturday's 4-2 loss to the Edmonton Oilers. His firing comes a little over a year after the Canucks hired him. He succeeded Travis Green in December 2021 and guided the team to a 32-15-10 finish. The team wound up just five points behind Nashville for the final wildcard spot in the Western Conference. Um, Boudreaux was loved by the fans, by the players, by pretty much everyone except the ownership who are classless, and uh, yeah, it's an unfortunate situation. I feel bad for Vancouver. Transitioning to some NBA. 
Orlando Magic big man Jonathan Isaac is reportedly set to return to the court for the first time since the 2019-20 season. The Athletic reported Isaac will play in Monday's contest against the Boston Celtics. He suffered a torn ACL in August 2020 during a game against the Sacramento Kings at the Walt Disney World Resort after the NBA restarted its season following a delay for the COVID-19 pandemic. That was not his only setback as he suffered a hamstring injury when he was rehabbing last season that required surgery. Quote, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, Isaac told reporters at Media Day. I want to get on the court with my teammates. I'm excited about it. He was recently assigned to the Lakeland Magic, which is Orlando's NBA G League affiliate, as he worked his way back to his eventual return. There was a time when the Magic surely envisioned the Florida State product as an important building block for the franchise. They selected him with the number six overall pick of the 2017 NBA draft and then selected Texas's Mohamed Bamba with the number six overall pick of the next year's draft. Um, Isaac appeared in 27 games as a rookie and appeared to turn the corner with 75 games in his second season. However, he played only 34 games in his third season prior to the setback against the Kings, averaging 12.7 boards and almost two and a half blocks per game while shooting 47% from the floor. So overall, I'm sure the Magic would be thrilled if uh, he could just be a solid big man for them. I mean, they have a pretty great young core, if I had to say. Now let's talk about the divisional games today. Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals entered Sunday's AFC divisional round matchup against the Buffalo Bills as underdogs. They quickly put that notion to rest. The Bengals were dominant on both sides of the ball at Highmark Stadium and route to a 27-10 win over the Bills to reach the AFC championship game for the second straight season, where they will meet the Kansas City Chiefs at, at Lake at Arrowhead for the second straight season. Uh, Burrow was particularly impressive, completing 23 of 36 passes for 242 yards and two touchdowns, in addition to rushing for 31 yards on six carries. He got nearly everyone involved on offense, passing the ball to eight different receivers. Wide receiver Jamar Chase finished with five catches for 61 yards and a touchdown. Honestly, it should have been two touchdowns, but he uh, got one taken away from him. While tight end Hayden Hurst caught five passes for 59 yards and a score. Running back Joe Mixon went off. Uh, with an impressive outing, rushing for 105 yards and a touchdown on 20 carries in addition to catching two passes for 18 yards. The Bengals' defense limited Bills quarterback Josh Allen to only 265 yards, zero touchdowns, and one interception. Allen had a rushing touchdown, though. Buffalo finished with only 325 total yards of offense. That is very low, very surprising. Credit to the Bengals' defense. What a job they did. And lastly, the San Francisco 49ers, obviously beat the Dallas Cowboys at home. The Niners had the number one ranked defense in the NFL during the 2022 season, so it comes as no surprise that the unit showed up in a big way in Sunday's gritty 19-12 victory over the Cowboys in the NFC Divisional Round. So the championship games are set. We got the 49ers versus Eagles in the NFC and the Bengals versus Chiefs for the second year in the Euro. Second year in the row in the AFC. Uh, San Francisco came up with huge stops when needed picking up, picking off Dallas star, Dallas star quarterback Dag Prescott twice in the victory. A fourth quarter sack by Samson Ebicom, all who, by the way, blocked an extra point earlier in the game, all but sealed the game for the 49ers. Dag Prescott was limited to only 206 passing yards and one touchdown, along with two interceptions on 23 of 37 passing, while the Cowboys totaled only 76 rushing yards on 22 attempts. 49ers, aforementioned 49ers rookie quarterback Brock Purdy and the rushing attack took a while to get going as well, but the team's defense kept things close until the Niners' late surge. Purdy threw for 214 yards and didn't commit a turnover. The Niners totaled 113 yards on the ground and still running back Christian McCaffrey found the end zone early in the fourth quarter. 
for the team's only touchdown of the day. Um, I know a lot of money was on CMC. Uh, so big win for the Niners. Uh, an impressive display. We have our matchup set. With that said, I'll uh, do my predictions. So let's see. 49ers versus Eagles in Philly. I'm going to go with the 49ers. I think they're too complete, too much talent. Brock Purdy is playing extremely well. He hasn't lost a game yet. Uh, Philly does have home field advantage. Jalen Hurts is unbelievable. Looks like uh, the injury isn't really bothering him anymore. Uh, A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith are huge targets. Miles Sanders has been pretty good uh, running the football as well. But the Niners have too much talent. Obviously, Brock Purdy. Robbie Gold is lights out for them kicking-wise. George Kittle, huge game today, old reliable, at least when it comes to Purdy. Devo Samuel, he can do it all. Christian McCaffrey, I mean, I don't even need to explain. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, the Niners just have too much, so I'm going to go with them to make the Super Bowl. On the other side, we got the Bengals and the Chiefs, the exact same game as last year, and I believe we will see the same result. The Bengals will reign victorious and make the Super Bowl for the second year in a row. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, high ankle sprain. Even if he plays, he won't be 100%. If he doesn't play, Joe Burrow versus Chad Henn, all due respect, uh, is an easy win for the Bengals. So in the Super Bowl, we got Bengals versus 49ers. I'm a Rams fan, so I can't pick the 49ers. I'm going to go with the Bengals. I think they win the Super Bowl. Avenge last year's loss to the Rams. Um, they were too good. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase are unstoppable. Uh, the Chiefs are good, but again, Hobbled Mahomes, and if not Chad Han, Bengals should win. In a Bengals-Niners matchup, I like Joe Burrow to outplay Brock Purdy, and I think the Bengals do just enough to win the Super Bowl over the Niners. With that said, this was episode number 404 of the Podcast. I appreciate you guys listening so much. Uh, love this shit. I love you guys. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. Have a good one. Peace.